to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Religion is the great enemy of grace. Now, when I say religion, what I'm talking about is any system that depends on human merit for divine acceptance and approval. All of the religions of the world are the enemies of grace. Every single one of them, because they all teach that your acceptance or approval with God is through your own efforts. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, in a message titled, Contending for Grace. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So again, the false teachers say Paul's not a true apostle. He doesn't really know the apostles. He's not, you know, part of that original band. Paul says, no, actually I do. And let me tell you about a trip that I took to Jerusalem with Titus and with Barnabas and about a private meeting. He says that he had with those in Jerusalem and he refers to them as those who were of reputation. So he's talking about the, those who were seen as the leading apostles at the time. And he's going to mention them by name here in just a moment. He said, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So these men are coming to the Galatians saying, you need to be circumcised. Paul says, I took Titus with me, a Gentile, to Jerusalem, and I met with the leaders there, and they didn't say that Titus needed to be circumcised. So he's showing that there's a discrepancy in their story, the story of the false teachers. And so then he goes on and he says, and this occurred, this meeting, this private meeting occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, they added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, gospel for the Gentiles, as the gospel for the circumcised, the Jews, was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the Jews also worked effectively toward me or in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. So again, Paul is just setting the record straight. 
And notice that he refers to the, the leaders, James, Peter, and John. He refers to them as those who seem to be pillars. You see, Paul is stated in no uncertain terms that he's not in any way inferior to these other apostles. Even though he wasn't there and part of that original band, his apostleship is just as legitimate as theirs. And he says, you know, they, they added nothing to me. They, they seemed to be, they, they were looked up to, they were respected, and that was okay, that was legitimate, but, but Paul just wants the Galatians to understand that he has that same authority that those in Jerusalem had as well. So they added nothing to me. They didn't teach me anything that I didn't already know. Paul, as he had already stated, he learned the gospel from Christ himself. So now in verses four and five, that's where we want to focus our attention today. And let me read those to you again. And I want to read them first from my normal translation, the New King James Version. And then I want to read them to you from the NLT, the New Living Translation. But this is what it says. It says, and this occurred. So it's this private meeting that occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, listen to it from the NLT. Some so-called Christians, false ones really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their religious regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel for you. So I I want you to just for a minute, I want you to think about what the scene that Paul is, is painting here. These legalists, these advocates of the Jewish law, they're coming in to the Christian assemblies not to worship, but they're coming in to spy on the liberty that the Christians had. This, this is very much like what happened during the public ministry of Jesus. Remember, Jesus would go into the synagogue and he would preach and oftentimes he would heal somebody or something. And the religious leaders of the time, they would go into the synagogue and they would sit there not to hear the message, but they were waiting for Jesus to do something that they considered contrary to the law. Oftentimes it was the Sabbath day. And so they were just waiting for Jesus to break the Sabbath. That's what they were there for. And what what a pathetic thing to think that there were and there still are sometimes people who all they're really wanting to do is they're wanting to find fault. They're just looking at any little thing that that is inconsistent with their view of the way things ought to be. And then they want to, to find fault for that. So they're, they're spying out their liberty. They're looking to say, oh, look, they're doing this. Oh, did you, did you see what they did over there? Oh, you know, that, that liberty, they're spying it out. And their motive is they want to bring these people into bondage. You know, and, and how sad and tragic that there are people that infiltrate the church who really come in with the intention of criticizing and finding fault and judging and basically just wanting to put people under bondage. 
happened then, it happens today as well. So what we see here with Paul, notice he uses this very strong language. He says, but we refuse to give in to them for a single moment. You see, Paul understood that you could... You couldn't give an inch when it comes to the gospel of grace. It's either all grace or it's not grace at all. That Paul said that in uh, Romans, as a matter of fact. You're either saved by grace, sanctified by grace, carried home to heaven by grace, or you're not. It's not, it can't be both. It's the minute works enter the picture, then grace is out of the picture. And so Paul says he doesn't, he's not giving them one minute of time. He's not giving them one inch that he might preserve the truth of the gospel. And so what we see with Paul is that Paul was contending for the gospel of grace. He fought for the gospel of grace. And it's something that every generation of Christians is called at some time or in some way to do. And so we want to look at three things. We want to look first of all at the message of the gospel of grace. We want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about when we speak about grace. Then we want to look at the enemies of grace. And then we want to look at how to ourselves contend for grace. So first of all, what is the message of the gospel of grace? When we talk about grace, and we talk about grace, don't we, right? Christians talk about grace. And we talk about it quite uh, frequently. Uh, I remember as a boy growing up in the Roman Catholic Church, and I remember the term sanctifying grace. And I never quite understood exactly what that was, but later on in life when I understood what grace was, and then I looked back on sanctifying grace, and I, re- I remember reading a quote from uh, one of the you know, publications that talked about you know, earning the sanctifying grace. Well, if you understand grace, you know that putting earning alongside of it, you just contradicted what grace is. There's no such thing as earning grace. The point of grace is that it's unearned favor. And so grace is God's undeserved favor that saves us, sanctifies us, and leads us safely home to heaven. So when we're talking about the gospel of grace, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God's unmerited favor. God bestowing favor on us sinners that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned, that we could never earn. And that grace results in our salvation, which is the forgiveness of our sins and the deliverance from the power of sin and ultimately the glorification of our bodies in the new heaven and the new earth with the Lord. One writer said this, Uh, regarding grace. He said, the gospel of grace is that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ we are accepted and declared righteous. You see, this was the big revelation that was brought back in the, the 16th century in what we call now historically the Reformation. You see, for centuries, this idea was lost. It was there with the apostles. Paul was fighting for it here. But at a certain point in church history, the the contenders lost the battle. And so grace went into obscurity. 
And so from, you know, maybe the, the 5th century, 6th century on to the 16th century, the common understanding of salvation was that you basically did something to contribute to your salvation. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's all well, fine, and good. You believe in him, but then you've got to add to that. And it was this, this gospel of grace, this rediscovering of being declared righteous through faith in Christ that brought about the great spiritual revolution that is known historically as the Reformation. But again, let me read to you that quote. It says, the gospel of grace is that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ we are accepted and declared righteous. This is the reality. This, this is the fact that we are still sinful and we still sin. And anyone who says, well, not me, just needs a dose of reality. Yes, you, and yes, me, and yes, all of us. We're still sinful. We still have a sinful nature. We still have sinful tendencies, and we still sin, right? But then we say, but, but I don't sin like that person. Okay, that's not the point. The point is we still sin. Whether we sin like that person or not isn't really the thing, but that's sometimes where we get a little bit confused because we think, well, we're not sinning like that person, or maybe we're not sinning even like we used to, but the truth of the matter is we still sin. But despite that, we are accepted and declared righteous. How? Through faith in Christ, because the righteousness of Christ is given to us, and we are accepted in Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, 6, we are accepted in the beloved. Now, Martin Luther, I was referring to the Reformation a moment ago. Luther was a key figure in the Re Reformation. He said this. He said, salvation by grace alone is not just one doctrine among others. It is the article by which the church stands or falls. He said that salvation by grace alone is hard to accept and hard to hold on to. In his famous commentary on Galatians, Luther wrote, this doctrine cannot be beaten into our ears too much. Yes, though we learn it and understand it well, yet there is no one who takes hold of it perfectly or believes it with all his heart, so frail a thing as our flesh and disobedient to the spirit. It's so true. This doctrine cannot be preached enough. And really the theme, if you wanted to find a theme for the New Testament, the New Testament, the theme is the grace of God. That's the whole message of the New Testament. That God has not dealt with us according to our sins, but he's dealt with us in mercy and in grace through Jesus Christ. Now, grace, as we see here, has always had its enemies. And the number one enemy of grace is religion. Religion is the number one enemy of grace. And, and I referenced this before, but let me just say this again. The, the interesting thing as you go through Galatians specifically, and Romans as well, but, but Galatians, you see that, that Paul is battling something that we at times wouldn't even recognize we needed to battle. Because even as Christians, we oftentimes embrace all different kinds of legalism and we don't even sometimes see it for what it is. Or if we do see it, we don't think that it's that big of a deal. 
But Paul saw it as a big deal. He saw it as something that we had to fight against. Religion is the great enemy of grace. And this is the battle that Jesus fought. This is the battle that Paul fought. This is the battle the reformers fought. And it's the battle that every generation of Christians has to fight to some degree. Now, when I say religion, what I'm talking about is any system that depends on human merit for divine acceptance and approval. All of the religions of the world are the enemies of grace. Every single one of them, because they all teach that your acceptance or approval with God is through your own efforts. You have to abide by certain rules. You have to perform certain rituals. You have to keep certain commandments. All of the religions of the world have that in common. And all of the religions of the world are completely void of grace. There's no, there's no such thing as grace. So the religions of the world are actually the enemies of grace. But like I said, sometimes that enemy of, of religion can make its way into the church. And that's where we have these battles. That's the battle that Paul was fighting in Galatia. But let's just think for a moment about the enemies of grace in the ministry of Jesus. Of course, it was the, the religious leaders who were the primary opponents of Jesus, remember. They were the ones who opposed him. We read in the, the gospels that the common people the average person, the person that wasn't a part of that religious elite, that those heard him gladly. The common people heard him gladly. The sinners heard him gladly. Jesus even commented to the religious leaders of his day. He said, the prostitutes and the drunkards and the tax collectors, they enter the kingdom before you. And Jesus said that actually these, these would not enter the kingdom. He said that uh, many will come from the east and the west and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom, but the children of the kingdom will be cast out. It was because in their religion and their self-righteousness through their religion, they were opposing the, uh, Jesus was really the incarnation he was the human manifestation of grace and they were opposing and resisting him. And, and as you read through the gospel accounts, it, it's really astounding. Lately, as I've been reading through the gospels myself, I'm seeing just the, the hostility toward Jesus was unbelievable. And it was always based on some act of grace on his part. So Jesus heals a man and you would think that everybody would go, praise the Lord, that guy was healed. But you know what the religious leader said? How dare he heal on the Sabbath day? He's not supposed to do that on the Sabbath day. We need to kill him. And so they plotted and they schemed how they could put him to death over those kinds of things. That's how intense this battle between grace and religion actually can be at times. But that was the same thing that Paul was facing as we read through the, the New Testament epistles and as we find Paul suffering and facing opposition and all of that. 99% of the time, it's not from the pagans. I mean, that did occasionally happen, but it, the majority of the time, it wasn't the pagans. It was the religious leaders, again, who were personally attacking him or they were instigating the attacks against him. It was that hatred of grace coming from the religious. And as I said, all the way down in history, we come to the Reformation and we come to the battle against the institutionalized church. Now, when Luther and the other reformers, when they came to the church hierarchy, 
they didn't come suggesting that Christians go live carnal, sinful, wicked lives, and therefore they were rejected. You know what? They came presenting grace. They came presenting that, you know, God freely forgives our sins in Christ. And for that, they were exiled. For that, they were driven out of the church. For that, they were persecuted. For that, in some cases, they were even put to death. And this kind of thing, it happens over and over and over again. And so in our day, everyone who has fought in some way or another against the idea that you have to do something more than simply believe in Jesus and his finished work on the cross in order to be more loved or accepted or blessed by God, anyone who has fought against that knows the reality of that battle against grace. Because that's what happens even sometimes in the church today. You know, most Bible-believing churches would consent openly to a belief in God's grace. Of course, we believe in God's grace. But then simultaneously, they would, and some, sometimes subtly, and, and sometimes even unconsciously, I think, they would bring in additional things to suggest that, well, if you really want to know God's love, if you really want to know his power, if you really want to know his blessing, then you, you've got to do these things as well. And yet, that is contrary to the biblical teaching. See, the, the scripture teaches, and I think this is a good way to understand it, the grace first principle. You see, the scripture teaches that grace precedes everything, and then all of our, our good works and all of our obedience and all of that proceeds from that work of grace in our life rather than the opposite. You know, sometimes we get the thing backward and we think, well, I, I want to get more grace, so I'll perform better for God. And if I do better and if I behave better and if I'm more diligent and if I'm more this, and we, we get into this works thing thinking that we're going to, through our works, we're going to attain more grace. No, it's the, that's the backward we get the grace from God. We come to him, Lord, I just need your grace. And out of that supply of grace comes those things. So I love God and serve God and praise God and give my life to God, not to get his grace, but because I already have his grace. It's his grace that is the motivating factor in my life. Now, as we see with Paul, he was a good contender. And he fiercely contended against this because he was seeking to preserve the truth of the gospel. He wanted to make sure that the pure gospel was retained. And so he fought against all of these efforts to add something to. Whenever you have Jesus plus anything, you no longer have the gospel. Now, let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So, Brian, I'm holding in my hands Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. This is a book you've been trying to get me to read, and I'm going to. Yes. But tell me why I should read it again. You've got to read this book. This book is tremendous. Rebecca is brilliant, and she kind of takes on all of the current 
questions and opposing views that come up against those who hold the Christian faith. And the the title of the book, you know, she's confronting Christianity. People are saying, well, Christians believe this and Christians did that. And she's just taking 12 of the current hardest questions that Christians are facing. Questions like, doesn't religion cause violence? Or how can you take the Bible literally? Doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Isn't Christianity homophobic? And she does a superb job in addressing these questions. And I think anybody today who's seriously thinking about what's going on in the culture and engaged in the culture, out in the workplace or wherever, this is a book you want to read because this is going to tremendously help you to have a good response when people bring these questions up because many are confronting Christianity and this book will help you to know how to answer those who are confronting Christianity. Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book Confronting Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin to prepare you to answer some of culture's most difficult questions regarding Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.